And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four, five. Hello, welcome to House of Strauss. Welcome to Industry Talk. Welcome to Ryan Glassspiegel of the New York Post in the queue. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I have a new phone, and I had to make sure the microphone access worked. But I am here. I got a little bit worried. You know, something something seemed a little bit off. Something wasn't right, but it seems like it's working. Well enough. We don't exactly have a full docket. We might talk about some of what we're writing about. We might revisit the Griner piece, although to what you said, Ryan, over text, we might have workshopped that sucker, you know, doing these call-ins before I wrote it. So I'm not sure how much meat is left on that phone. Fortunately, we do have a meaty topic, although, uh, again, yet another topic not to be glib about, except maybe occasionally it's the Deshaun Watson saga. Deshaun Watson the uh, the quarterback superstar. The, there, there hasn't been a happy ending to this story yet. Oh, there you go. That's the glibness. That's what I want. That was well done. Um, I'll tell you why I want to talk to you about it, Ryan. Uh, because, A, I'm not an NFL guy. I'm not that aware of what happens in that league. And, B, this is the type of story where I'm watching so much emotionality from media members who seem to be out competing each other for how outraged they were towards Watson that I don't know who to trust on what's going on here and what the parameters are. And so I'm one, I'm wondering if you could give us a quick expository on what's going on, why the NFL commissioner um, is getting involved in the process in this protracted uh quasi scandal of uh, Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. Um one of our commenters says, gotta give you a hand on that one. Oh God. Oh jeez. Um, oh no. <laughs> so okay. Uh we don't need to go through the whole Watson saga. I think what we just need to go back is earlier this week. Uh right so basically um Goodell for like 15 years has been, you know, this, the, like has handled the discipline. So like anybody surprised by this is just, you know, totally been not paying any attention at all. But, um, that includes uh, Deshaun Watson's agent uh, to which you'll get to later on, but yeah, yeah, I'll get to him. Um, the, so Basically, two years ago, the CBA came up and the players had a chance to address any concerns they had with the fact that Roger Goodell presides over discipline. And instead of making it a priority, which, you know, there's 1,500 players in the league and this Goodell discipline impacts one player every like two to three years. So... I can understand why they didn't um, make it something that they refused to budge on, but they, instead of like wresting this power to unconditionally punish away from him, they put in this thing where a independent judge would be in charge of it, but then the NFL could appeal the discipline ruling and enact their own at the end of it anyway. And so yeah. the the judge part was new and people thought when the six game suspension got handed down that it meant it was over but not so fast 
here comes Sheriff Goodell reacting to the Twitter reaction. And I don't know how much how correlative the Twitter reaction is with well, the general public. Like sometimes I, yeah, mobs- I, I don't I don't think correlative at all. Based on some of these snippets we see of Deshaun Watson showing up and just fans wanting autographs. But I think Mina Kime said, and I would agree that public perception uh, influenced Goodell and influenced the NFL on that. And hey, people might have different ideas about what fairness is here and what should be applied, but that's not the way this such such a thing should be handled, right? I mean, that that's a very that that argument is one I agree with, and maybe she's even approving of them taking another look at it. But when I look at the scenario, shouldn't it be? about the facts of the case, right? It shouldn't be this. Well, that's uh, the thing is the judge ruled that the facts of the case indicated that Watson more likely than not did what he was accused of. Like she said that the, um, the accusers are right. And then she cited precedent of Ben Roethlisberger who had like two different accusers one year apart and Ezekiel Elliott, who had like, you know, a number of issues that piled up, but like, you know, one specific incident that caused him to get a six game suspension. And she cited those as precedent for the punishment. So the way that it works with this new like process is the league um, has to accept the judges. I just want to do some quick expository because it's a very strange, murky situation here. Uh, there are uh, there have been civil lawsuits filed by 25 women. Um, he's been accused of sexual assault and other inappropriate conduct. It seems like the, the ground zero of all of this are massages. And if you read between the lines, it appears that Deshaun Watson was a frequenter of happy ending massages. And I'm not sure if he tried to upsell some of those that weren't that into being that and where this all came from. I think that's one plausible theory, but the inability to just just assume that like any massage therapist on Instagram is one that partakes in happy endings, which um, doesn't seem to have been the case from their perspective. Yes. And is not okay to do obviously, but that confounding aspect that he effectively was probably seeing a form of prostitute and might have been trying to turn people who weren't prostitutes into prostitutes. This sort of conversation that we're having right now is not happening on the higher level um, in you know in publications. Yeah, there was like you know television. there was a big group of massage therapists that came forward at like the behest of his legal representation or whatever that said, oh no, he treated us with like professionalism because you know they're professionals, and so. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's an element that's not really getting discussed well, because it's, it's, it's a not, little bit, um, difficult, well, you know, to go on like sports center and talk yeah. about it candidly. Well, yeah, but it's also probably an explanation for why, because people see this and they go, oh my God, this guy's like Bill Cosby. What the hell's happening here? How is he not in jail? And I think at least part of the answer is that this is a murky bit of territory and it's hard to prove certain things. And uh, it's an industry that exists in this gray zone of prostitution, but sometimes not prostitution. And so that has been a big confounding factor here. Um, And that is not a statement that I think definitively 
uh, says that he no, it done does, what it he's doesn't absolve yeah. him or anything. No. It's what it is. Is it's explaining, um, you know, the reality of all of this. Yeah, and which is so, not being explained. Which is not being explained to the consumer, even if people can kind of read between the lines. Yeah, but um, so with the NFL process, they installed this judge and they made this rule that the league has to accept the judge's interpretation of the facts, but the league can um, appeal the judge's punishment, which is what is happening. And then the league appeals the punishment to the league, which then decides the new (laughs) punishment. And um, so Watson with like this Browns contract, like they ripped up his Texans contract and gave him a new like five year, $230 million signing bonus. So if that would happen in the NBA, it would just mean, you know, he makes like 40 million the first year, 45 the second and it escalates throughout. But, you know, it's relatively consistent. But the way the NFL contracts are drawn up, you can give someone like an enormous mm. signing bonus and pay them immediately and then amortize that signing bonus to whatever years of the salary cap that you feel like. And so his contract was like written in a way that the six game suspension means he would only lose 345 grand out of the whole 230 million dollar yeah. contract like they basically made this year worth almost nothing in terms yeah. of what his like salary is and so it was just like such a slap in the face yeah. at this guy Roger Goodell who has unconditional punishing power that was they, they, daring him to yeah. appeal whatever punishment came up. They, they waved the red handkerchief at the bull. Uh, they got too too clever by half, too cute, uh, is your read on, on this particular situation. Um, that is, if we're even allowed to analyze aspects of this situation. It, it's, again, it's difficult to just, to just get to... I mean, the bottom isn't some pun here that is going to be cited, but just to, to figure out what's happening. I, I find it difficult to cut through the miasma of people trying to outcompete each other for how angry they are. I think the broader question I have, and I've raised it before, I don't think it's a good idea for leagues to be doing this. That's a different conversation of whether Deshaun Watson deserves to be suspended or deserves some sort of punishment. I don't think it's a good idea for leagues to make themselves some sort of alternative, uh, alternate court system. I think what makes sense is render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and to say, hey, if somebody is doing something horrific, then that is a matter for the courts. Uh, we're going to deal with the things that are germane to the sport itself. And yes, that includes suspending a guy for gambling on the uh, the football games. I know people were bringing that up and saying, oh my God, how how could Deshaun Watson get suspended for only this many games when Ridley was suspended for, what was it, a year? Well, if you, yeah. gamble, on the, if you gamble on the actual sport, that is quite germane to the integrity of the sport. It's just a different category. But I, I just think... Again, maybe I'm a softie well, on, like, on these things. How could somebody go to jail for insider trading, but Deshaun Watson doesn't face charges? <laughs> like, the, yeah. um, it, it's it, it's a really tough situation because people are way mad 
at like the football league for because everyone assumed that for a few hours on Monday that that six game suspension was um you know that's what it was he was suspended six games this is finally over I knew better because I've been watching yeah. these people very closely for fifteen years and I was saying like hey just like the way that this reaction is going, this ain't over, guys. I'm sorry. Like, if well, we wanted this story that's dragged out forever to be done, it's not yet. Um, well, well, I mean, cynical alternative timeline. Ultra cynical. Let's say Goodell hasn't been wielding this power, and this isn't what he does. And he does the render into Caesar that which is Caesar's. And it's, hey, if it's bad, it's for the courts. And anything else is anything else. I don't know if the media keeps up their focus on this, at least to this degree. A lot of no, I do like the um, this started with with Roethlisberger a bunch of years ago. But like you know, do you? It's really difficult to put yourself in the mindset of when Goodell took over, and there was a massive, massive problem with players getting arrested, like pro football talk had like the turd watch and the days without an arrest meter. And it like rarely reached like a week or two during the off season. And so um, he, like there was really a mandate for him to come in and clean this up from like the football watching public. And people kind of forget that. And yes. So, um, you know, the, the other thing is, is that, Goodell is like a very easy punching bag because he's an uncharismatic speaker and because he like just wields this punishment um, and it's become, you know, part of the NFL TV show for the last 15 years. So he's always got some type of punishment he's cooking up, whether it was like Roethlisberger mm. or the Patriots with both yeah, like Spygate and Deflategate or the saints with bounty gate. There's always like some get punishment storyline that's ongoing in the league TV show, but it bears mentioning that like the NFL is stronger than ever. It's like bigger than all of the other sports in America put together. And then some, they've maintained their audience. Well, like they basically just over the last 25 years, taken away audience from the NBA and MLB. And so, you know, there might, there might be something to be said for this guy knows what he's doing in terms of how he presides over this television show that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Yeah. And nothing succeeds like success. And I, I wouldn't come at it from the perspective of obviously this has been an idiotic way to do things. I, I more just have the sense that once you take on this responsibility, you are held to the standard and it becomes a constant conversation of why aren't you punishing this guy? Why aren't you punishing that guy? And that means we're talking more about what these guys did in the news. Again, this is maximally cynical. That, that's how, that's how the owners felt. And that's why they installed this judge in the process. And then her first like her first ruling was just totally unsatisfactory to the public. Yeah. And but also, again, like, though, we, we do need to discuss, like, it, it's weird that the NFL is becoming a shadow, not is becoming, it yeah. has been a shadow justice system. When two grand juries in Texas heard these heard complaints, these- 
and decided not to press charges. And so I'm not saying I believe that he's not guilty of what he's accused of. What I am saying is it's like bizarre that people are so much more mad at this football league for not doling out punishment properly than they are at our court system. Well, it's because the NFL is more central uh, to people's lives and the ultimate authority in American life, apparently, uh, that they look to it. But then it goes back to what I'm saying, where you could just hide behind, look, the courts decided what they decided. If you're not the one who's expected to adjudicate, then whoever adjudicated, adjudicated, you can go talk to them about it. And uh, I'm telling I, Jerry Jones has had that conversation with he, Roger Goodell a thousand times, but like you can say that in the abstract and then this Deshaun Watson thing happens and like Goodell is like, I have to save the day. Yeah. Well, again, I would argue that one of the reasons it continues to happen is because there's the expectation that he can or because they have some role in this matter. But to what you're saying, it is odd once again. And I just wish we were getting a clearer explanation. The explanation that we're talking about, that there's a massive confounding variable um, in these lawsuits, in this case against him, uh, I think is a more correct explanation. It's not an explanation that lets him off the hook or says that he's in the is in the right or absolves him but it it explains at least why it's been difficult to uh to get him on these charges and yet the explanation on offer from so much of the sports media especially is just that i don't know like we hate women or something as a society and it's just it, it maybe maybe that's a factor but i don't think it's the most germane factor as to why um, the the accusers have not been successful in court. So Deshaun Watson has gotten a lot of bad advice in this process because he's, and part of it is, you know, he's paying these people and they're giving him the advice that he wants to hear. So he got bad advice from the agent in signing this deal that, um, you know, theoretically shielded his money, but, like he's going up against somebody who, you know, really part of his image is over punishing players. And then the other bad advice he got, which I guess he probably wanted was he was told not to settle like the the first accuser. And so he, the, like his, his attorney made the plaintiff's attorney like feel disrespected. And then they went out and found like just like a mountain of accusers. Um, yeah. if he had settled the first one, I mean, he probably would have kept behaving like this and it would have caught up to him well, eventually. And, but, and, um, and the mountain of accusers is getting cited in the media as evidence of guilt, which is not illogical. If a lot of people are accusing you of, of a crime, uh, the odds go up that, that you did it. But I, I do feel sometimes that there should be some caution there and you should be just a little bit. I don't know if it's skeptical or what, just before leaping immediately and saying because there are multiple accusers, therefore he is guilty of sin, uh, when again, in the actual court system, uh, he is not, he has not been nailed in that way. So, uh, but yes, you're not, I'm not seeing a lot of that kind of caution and I'm just seeing a lot of um, emotionality um, when it comes to this, which 
now I step back and 30,000 foot view. Uh, I, I don't really give a shit what happens either way uh, here. I, I don't view the NFL as the Supreme Court of the United States. I think if somebody committed a heinous crime, then that is a matter they should be punished for uh, in jail. Um, I'm not looking to Roger Goodell to mete out the justice, but it is amusing to me at some level to watch these media members who derive their money uh, from a brain damage factory, a delightful brain damage factory, I should add, uh, that creates these great games we watch, but it's a meat grinder. And they're reacting with this just incredible moralism. And it, it's it's hard for me. There's something about my personality that it's it's hard for me to absorb that and go I, at some level. Yeah, that's why I just I mean, I can't get off Twitter, but you would I I don't really have any interest in watching anybody talk about this on TV because I don't think like there's that many people who are more informed and than me about it and I really don't have like any interest in seeing like them try to out um emotion each other about it but what I would say if I were advising Watson now is if you sue you're gonna lose if you wait for them to issue a punishment it's going to be a year and then you're gonna have to grovel in a year there were reports saying like the NFL was like offering settlement talks before the judge's ruling for like I don't know, 12 games and a massive fine. I'd try and propose that settlement and be done with it because if he sues, it's going to like take a while and it's going to take in the next year when he's making a lot more money in salary and he's eventually going to lose and cool. it's going to cost him then because the players and the owners have a collective bargaining agreement that allows Goodell to issue whatever punishment he wants under the personal conduct policy. Brady found this out. He stretched it out for a year. For, he still got suspended the four games over the, like, maybe, maybe not deflated footballs. If he can get suspended over that, then Watson can definitely get suspended over this. And he should just go back to Goodell, take the 12 games, another, I don't know, $10 million fine, and continue his life. I think if I was advising him, and I, I do aspire to one day uh, make, my, make my money just advising bad people uh, and how to cynically, uh, in a Machiavellian way, outmaneuver the system, um, I, I do think if it's a battle of public perception, if public perception is informing why Goodell is reacting this way, it, it, if you're not saying anything, and that's what lawyers always tell you is don't say anything, don't say anything. Okay, well, if you're not saying anything, then the story is just coming from everybody else. And he's not really giving anybody a story as to he why has, he's, he's innocent. He just said, I'm innocent. This is all made up. He, anytime that, but that's not a story. Stopped, but they, but that's not a story. He needs a story. He needs to. He needs an explanation. He would probably have to do the thing where he talks about going to these places and you he's know, done that. He said any sexual contact was consensual. He needs a YouTube video, is what I'm saying. He needs a YouTube video. That's the only way. That's the only way anybody exonerates themselves is a very frank YouTube video. I mean, you're you're making a good point. I'm I'm saying that he should do things that he's probably done. 
and doesn't really matter and he can't really turn the tide of it. I'm now looking at a Michael David Smith tweet. Uh, Deshaun Watson is signing lots of autographs for kids in front of cameras, of course, at Brown's training camp. I'd ask those parents, is Deshaun Watson the kind of man you want your kids to look up to? Um, I mean, I guess not, but <laughs> I don't know. There's something about the tone, Ryan, the tone of this stuff that I, I it just it just rankles me. I'm rankled. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's tough because um, I I get what I get. I like him, but I just it's not the way that like just my brain works, and so. Yeah. It's a, it's just a different, um, I don't know. I, I like, wish I had we, a good I, I enjoyed there. the NFL for what it is, but it's a fairly dirty, dirty game. I don't look to it for morality. Um, and, you know, like I, I, I am they, fairly. Look, they, this, yeah. they, they're not going to get rid of the commissioner deciding the punishment until there's a new commissioner because the, um, it's funny this like seven or eight years ago the nfl held uh expectations of ownership symposium for like people who wanted to be coaches or in the front office and the two owners who spoke at that were stephen ross and jimmy haslam stephen ross got like found himself at the like business end of the nfl punishment meat grinder this week through tampering talks with Tom Brady and Sean Payton and um, Jimmy Haslam like issued basically a threatening statement on Monday when the judge issued her ruling on Watson that this should just be done. And so Mm. those two who spoke at the expectation, and I wrote at the time at the big lead that these two, like, first of all, they always lose. And second of all, like Jimmy Haslam is presiding over like a lot of like white collar theft. So these Uh. two speaking in the expectations of ownership meeting was kind of a joke. And so I, it like stuck out in my mind and it's funny that both of them are on the like business end of Goodell in the same week. Yeah. Well, maybe the NFL is smart just getting this all out of the way uh, right now at a dead point. Um, you know what's and- funny is like everything the NFL does is strategic. They had three days to appeal the ruling on Watson. It came out on Monday. Today mm. is Wednesday. It has not been the whole three days. Tomorrow is the Hall of Fame game. So they wanted to get all of like the talking out today so that tomorrow people can talk about the start of the preseason and that this won't overshadow it. Like they do everything deliberately. And it's like, once you observe them very closely, it like what they do makes sense. Not necessarily like in the broader sense that it makes sense that Goodell would be this punishment um, czar, but it makes Mm. sense how they wind up meeting at meeting it out based on how, like, you observe Goodell. Yeah. And so is it your opinion that it's the best run league of the leagues we discuss? Um, Connected to what you're saying. Y- the reason it's the best league, run league, and this might be a segue to stuff that we talk about later, is yeah. they they kept, 
like 80 to 90% of their distribution on broadcast, whereas most, a vast majority of NBA and MLB distribution is on cable. And so that left them, like, first of all, even at the peak of cable, it was still in like 15 to 20% less households than ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS. And then when there was a disruption to cable, the disparity became much bigger. And so anybody like, like the, the NFL has been the most egalitarian in terms of like, it's always been able to reach everybody. They never Mm. wavered from that other than the Monday night football package. And that I think has been the, the biggest strategic decision that they've made over the last 30 plus years that has helped insulate them from the downturn that's facing MLB and NBA. Yeah. Well, the NBA did something that was remarked upon as, as quite clever. Um, and it, it didn't really come from them. It did come from God, which executive was it? Was it Shapiro? I can't remember, but um, nobody expected what happened back when they said, we're going to do this double package of ABC and ESPN. Um, that was not the expectation. So they at least maintained a foothold. And I guess that was pretty good, but I think and the, the finals benefit- are there, but yeah, what the NFL's benefited from, and I have to start coining some terms for this. I think what ends up happening a lot of the time in business is that people skip ahead almost, or they get convinced that the next thing is on the horizon and we need to get on board with it. And they forget about the tried and true. Uh, I think I've referred to this general dynamic as undecided whale that uh, it's similar to undecided whale. The dynamic I've talked about where a company will ignore their core customer base for a whale that is undecided and could make them far richer. The NBA in China is an example, but this is a different thing where it's almost about modality that for a time back in the day, cable was the future and network TV was the dinosaur. So you got to get to cable. That's what matters. And it didn't really end up going that way. I Well, it did because, you know, at peak cable was in like 100 million homes and broadcasts were in 115 million. And with cable, there was the dual revenue stream because with with broadcasts, they're over the air and free. So in the cable packages, like the broadcast channels make like um, transmission and reverse retransmission fees to be in the cable package, but they're like much lower than an ESPN, which is $10 per month in every household, whether you watch it or not. And so the broadcast networks revenue is like probably 80 to 90%. I don't know. I might be wrong on this. If someone knows these numbers, feel free to chime in. And it might not fit for the dynamic I'm describing too, but I think that um, you still you're giving up something as far as discoverability uh, when you get off network TV and that ends up mattering in the long term. But sometimes, again, I I just, sometimes we skip ahead. I need to come up with a term. I always think back to the 2016 election where inspired by how uh, Obama's team had really money balled the two general elections before it, Hillary was all in on uh, social media, blah, 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 blah. 
and Trump just still thought people watched TV and did a shitload of TV and did all those appearances that CNN helped with. And it turned out uh, not everybody was on social media. Most people watched TV still, even if we knew where the future was headed. Uh, perhaps we weren't there yet. And so I think often people in control of things uh, can can uh, assume too much and move too quickly. And sometimes it happens the other way, too, like the newspaper industry just never moving and getting destroyed. So that also happens. Well, yeah, I mean, if the newspapers had kept charging subscriptions when it moved to the Internet, like if, if they when they had the monopoly on print news and kept charging for it like they had what would have happened i don't know but it's like you know, i think it was more you know that the popular theory is that's what killed them but i feel like craigslist killed the newspapers the most oh, because I thought that was the popular theory that craig newmark uh killed killed the newspapers um but yeah they would have been if they could have somehow figured out a way to do the subscription thing online early and and now it sucks because I I will often look up a story and it will be in the Miami Herald or some local newspaper and it's it's paywalled and there's just no way that I'm yeah and it's like a, how a am I gonna why did what is someone in Chicago gonna just subscribe to the Miami Herald for my solution yeah. for this would be to make it so that like all these newspapers get together in a syndicate where they use the same tech. And if you want to read a story that you don't want to like subscribe to these outlets to forever for, you pay $5, you get that one story, one time fee, one mm. button, you just click it five bucks and you get access. Yeah, I've heard similar thoughts. People want something like that with Substack, but um, I kind of like how it is on Substack right now and just well, keeping it new, simple. That's why the Miami yeah. Herald likes it too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose, I suppose so, Ryan. Um, you know, you've been prolific of late. Is there any subject, uh, any subject you want to discuss? Um, on the spot, I... putting you on the spot. I mean, should we talk about my grinder thing? That got more of a response than I thought it would. I, I, it's a little self indulgent, but I could talk about it if you want to talk about it. Well, um, let's talk about the response because we honestly, the piece we discussed last week. Yes, and it was we've discussed here. it before. So, um, you, the response to you was blank. Well, it got a good amount of subscriptions. Which, in the piece, I'm almost saying that I don't know if anybody's going to read about this because I suspect that nobody cares about it. So that was um, a pleasant surprise, and it seemed to. I mean, I had somebody in the NBA reach out and say that it it that piece and some other ones captures what they're thinking, but they're, they're just afraid to say what they're thinking. And I don't know if this particular subject is unique and to do the expository for those who don't know, WNBA superstar, Brittany Griner is currently imprisoned in Russia for transporting cannabis pro uh, products. She gets paid more money to play over there uh, than she does to play in the WNBA. She gets paid over a million dollars to play over there. And um, she uh, it's become this it's become this cause. And it's so top down that I find that part I, I did when I wrote it, like I thought more about that aspect of it, of how top down it is, how there's not a lot of public interest. But she's on the cover of Time magazine and the ESPYs and everybody is kind of 
oddly lecturing the United States as though this is the fault of America. I mean, I Joe Biden's not having a good go of it right now, but I don't think this is on Joe Biden that she broke Russia's law and is locked up there. And again, I don't think it's a I, I think it's a victimless crime and I think it's draconian and I think it's probably happening for political reasons and she's a pawn in it. But um, I, I, you know, I, w- I was pleasantly surprised by the reaction, Ryan, and I think it sort of speaks to this general feeling that the athletes um, and a lot of celebrities are talking at the public um, and they're doing it with no consideration of the public and no sense they share any bonds with the public. What was interesting about the Griner situation to me was that it is it is a nationhood situation. She needs her country to bail her out, to have a responsibility to her. But you see Steph Curry, and he's not the only one saying stuff like this. It The argument instead is um, she's an athlete. She's one of us. And we athletes shouldn't be bound by politics or, you know, these problems between countries. I mean, it's 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 not yeah. the most appealing of messages. Right. And well, I, I think, yeah. Um, here, here's like the thing is you and I are people who have gotten to where we are. You further than me with our minds and athletes are people who by and large, but <laughs> <is> so delicately <laughs> yeah. and a- yeah. athletes are people who by and large have gotten to where they are with their bodies. And so as much as they like badly want to be considered more than athletes and some of them are very smart, my default position is not to look at them as thought leaders. And I'm sorry if that sounds mean, but their default position on me is not looking at me as a star athlete, you know? And so is that mean? No, it's true because they would crush me on a basketball court. But if like, you know, if Steph Curry took the SATs against me, um, I don't think it would like be a very close result. Well, and there's this other aspect where and now we're getting very deep into the weeds here. Platformism. And a lot of them are animated by this guilt. Legitimately, I think a lot of them feel genuinely Like they should be using this power for good. You've got this megaphone. You can talk to all these people. Well, why are you not? Why are you not then, uh, you know, saying the things that we need to hear right now? You know, these important things um, and saving society. You know, Michael Jordan gets criticized for saying Republicans wear sneakers, uh, Republicans buy sneakers too, whether that was apocryphal. Who knows? No, he admitted he said it. Humidity said it. It was a pretty good line, actually. Um, But, you know, so they feel this guilt. But at some level, that's almost like admitting it's it's insulting. It's this weird thing of I need to use this to, like, manipulate you because you pay attention to me and you're just going to do what I tell you to do. I mean, it's a it I think people resent it. And I actually think they don't give enough people credit and uh, a lot of people make the calculus that you make they go well i like this athlete i like what they do for me i'm not going to just lock step like i'm in a hypnotic trance uh 
mirror their politics back at them or what their opinion is in the moment on what the most important story in the world happens to be. Um, right. And it, it, I don't think it's shut up in Dribble. It's don't tell me what to do or think. Yeah. Yeah. People resent it. They resent it and they, they probably, I think, By the way, I don't like it. hearing it from politicians. I don't like hearing it from anybody, you know, that like this is a country of rugged individualists who like doesn't like having opinions or customs or anything browbeaten upon them. By the way, I got a text from my buddy Rob and he was saying we should take a call from Purple Pundit. I didn't know Purple Pundit of Memory serves extremely Philadelphian. Like I, I didn't know if I could possibly take so much Philly, but the line is open. If he wants to jump back in, that is a call we can take. And I can see if I can uh, withstand. I never get it. I'm sorry. Like, I think other, I guess Rob likes the bit. I don't under, it goes over my head. Which bit? What bit? The, uh, Philly. the Philly bit? The Philly bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, Philly. It's, uh, is Philly hot right now? I mean, Mayor of Easttown, people were into that. That was something that, that they were into. Um, but yeah, the, the call line is open if, uh, if he wants to jump back in. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think people don't like the sense that they're being manipulated. And I think it's actually a positive story that celebrities are less influential than they aspire to be and that they're mostly um, annoying and a distraction rather than the people who are, um, you know, telling us what to do. And I think part of what animated platformism was Donald Trump winning. Um, I think when that happened in 2016, a lot of people in the media misdiagnosed what had occurred. Uh, his celebrity and name recognition was part of why he, you know, just kind of uh, gave the, the craziest upset uh, in modern political history. Uh, Plus charismatic person versus uncharismatic person. And issue set. I think issue set is the thing they're in denial of. They don't want to even admit that there are issues that other people are animated by and care about um, that they've rendered to be off the table. So it, it was a lot of factors. I mean, you see a guy like Dr. Oz uh, enter a Senate race and he looks like shit. It's not a simple matter of just being a celebrity to get people uh, to um, adopt certain political positions. Right. And so I, I think that's I think that's a positive story overall, that it's not that simple. I don't know if it's totally sunk in for a lot of uh, athletes and celebrities, but they should probably settle down, feel a little bit less neurotic, feel a little bit. Uh, less inclined to try to just um, pontificate as as we do here. On, it's on also, it's kind of gone on a scale, you know, like you, you see all these graphics all the time about how CEO pay relative to the average worker has just skyrocketed. This has mm. also happened with the top athletes. I mean, it's happened with everybody in the NBA and MLB and a little bit the NFL, although like, you know, the minimum salaries in these leagues still aren't so outrageous compared to the average person. But, you know, like Steph Curry makes like $50 million a year just from the NBA. And you can maybe at least go that, do that, multiply that by one and a half when you're um, factoring in endorsements and everything else he's doing. So he's at like, you know, 75 to a hundred million dollars a year. And 
it's been hard times in America for, you know, the middle 50% for like, or bottom 50%, especially for like 40 years now. And, you know, so there's been like a steady trickle of like, there's no way Larry Bird and Magic Johnson made the like exponential amount relative to like the audience that, you know, Steph Curry and LeBron James do. And that's not the basketball player's fault. Larry Bird, who injured himself uh, shoveling snow in his mother's driveway uh, or whatever that story was. Yes. I think he was paving a driveway, but he was um, paving. He was paving a driveway, whatever it was. uh, I don't think a lot of driveways are getting paved by current MVPs is what I'm saying. Yeah. And so the amount that they make relative to the viewing audience has diverged. And so there's, that's like another aspect of why, like, you know, the average person just doesn't want to get lectured by them. It's like, look, you've, you've got it so great in like the context of everybody who's ever lived on this planet, your life is one of like the most envious of them. And I just don't need you lecturing me. Yeah. And their life kind of sucks in many ways, but nobody's going to care. I mean, I think being a a superstar athlete isn't all it's cracked up to be. I might've even written a book uh, to that end, but it doesn't matter. People see something that they can't get. And to what you said, um, it, it's been tough sledding, I think, for much of the country for a good long while, and especially right now. And it's going to be very difficult to get uh, somebody who's been hit hard by inflation in the current recession uh, to care about uh, Brittany Griner putting herself into this position. By the way, let's let's end on this. Uh, if I become so contrarian that I'm now arguing on behalf of the merchant of death. Uh, that's that's what we will end on, Ryan. Am I now pro merchant of death? Um, I to, to what I'm saying. I'm just just hear me out, folks. Just hear me out, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that Victor Boot, uh, the guy, I'm, you know, the guy I'm talking about. He's the arms dealer, the legendary arms dealer, uh, who might Michael be Jordan of arms dealer, the like, Michael you, Jordan you of need, arms dealer. You you need cruise missiles. He's got you. Yes, yes. And he is the guy, the Russian citizen, who is in an Illinois prison who might be traded for Griner. And, 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 another, a, people, and a U.S. spy. The U.S. spy kind of, you know, he's alleged, not a player alleged. to be named they, later they say in this. U.S. spy. They say U.S. spy. And actually, when I read his Wikipedia, I thought they might have a point. But alleged U.S. spy, right? Um, I think, anyway. Uh, so that, that that's in the deal. And I think Donald Trump said bad trade considering all that boot has done. I was not aware of how boot got arrested. I was so naive. I was so ignorant. I didn't even know this could happen that our DEA drug enforcement, the, the type of people who will do a meth bust in Nevada, uh, effectively entrapped boot by saying, we're going to give you seven figures to arm the FARC rebels in Colombia. Yeah, they pretended to be these Colombian fighters. Yeah, and then met him in Bangkok and arrested him and brought him back to jail in the United States. I, I guess I wasn't aware that our just a, a random agency that mostly focuses on drugs uh, could arrest a Russian citizen in Thailand and then bring him back 
uh, to over uh, Ameri- over a war that has nothing to do with us. Or, or yeah, over some shit in Colombia. Like I do see the point from Russia's perspective. I do. I feel like if this sort of thing was regularly happening to citizens uh, of ours, we we might have some questions. And again, Victor Boot probably a, a very deadly man. Probably pretty good that he's locked away, but. I, I go, it, it, it is kind of, I mean, it is illustrative yeah, of how the United know, States is the America, Roger Goodell. Police stuff. Yeah, like the America, we are the Roger Goodell of countries. That's all I'm saying. And some C- people resent Coming it. again to save the motherfucking day. <laughs> Don't you forget it. At least in uh, at least in this instance. I mean, the DEA, I, I did not, did you know this is their purview? Did you know that they were like Batman, the Dark Knight? Were you aware? Um... I don't think I was directly aware of this case, but like I think anybody who like follows Glenn Greenwald for a few years knows that we do stuff like this. Yeah, I just didn't know the DEA was involved. Is all I'm saying. Well, I didn't okay. know. It was, I wouldn't know it was the DEA, but like you know, I would. It wouldn't stun. It doesn't. It doesn't stun me to like learn these specifics in like a very weird way Um, when i when i watched the 60 minutes of how this went down i saw the agents getting interviewed i did have a little bit of sense of like when i was watching the scheme and i've seen so many instances where the feds uh didn't handle a case correctly and i was i was thinking like are we sure about this like are are we sure like did, did boot do what he was accused of um, and again, from the Russian perspective, I think it would be difficult to get a fair trial if you are uh, rousted and then brought to a foreign country that might not have the best relationship with your country. It's not exactly a jury of his peers is what I'm saying in that situation. I, I, I'm not saying free boot. I'm not uh, saying that, but I'm just saying. I, I have another prediction. It's probably pretty obvious, but. Now that these WNBA stars can't go and get this insane money in Russia, I mean, insane's relative. Like, she's making, like, a million and a half. So it's not, like, Steph Curry money or anything. But um, now that they can't get that, you're going to just see the, like, biggest temper tantrums ever over WNBA compensation in the next mm. couple of years. I mean, could it really be escalated beyond where it's at? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess. I, 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 find I think that there argument will be, be like so a player tender. strike. Yeah. I just find it to be such a strange argument that this happened to Griner because she wasn't paid enough here and therefore had to go over there. Um, I think, again, it's one of those arguments where people go, I'd like to make over $200,000 uh, to play basketball. Uh, I would do that. So I'm, I'm not um, very when, when I was on the Kirk, When I was on the Kirk Minahane show. Oh, let's, let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk. Let's, let's yeah, outro talking about that. But yes, you were saying. To brag, I went on it in studio without a brag. phone. Um, like I, I, I got to his studio without a phone. And so that's not the easiest thing to do in 2022. And, uh, it like required me memorizing the address and taking like a real cab, which side note, if you go to the airport and you're taking an, like an Uber from the destination out airport, it's like better 9.5 times out of 10 to take a real taxi than an Uber. 
Um, you just get in right away and it's usually actually cheaper now too. But um, so I go there and we, we talked about the grinder stuff. I talked about this show and how we go through like the fake like debates on it. And he said, which I actually thought was a pretty good point that if this was like Simone Biles, someone who is like, you know, cute and cuddly it's mm. like you have to you have to go into the mindset that she did the same thing you can't just say oh no Simone yeah Biles it would it would tap into the damsel it would tap into the damsel in distress and and this is where the the woke might be kind of correct that Roxanne Gay might have a point that her being tall and tattooed those were a few of the attributes that were named right there maybe that does have an impact on on how immediate a problem this is considered. Yeah, I think that that's a reasonable point. Although where I disagreed with him is he acted like this is getting no attention. And I just don't think it's getting, I just don't think like he is looking in the same type of mainstream platforms that we observe professionally. Yeah, this is the point I was making is I got some of that sort of response and I go, Dude, the cover of Time Magazine uh, just highlighted on ESPN all over the place. And at the ESPYs, the reason you don't think, if you don't think it's being covered, it's just because the organic disinterest of the public is such that it's blocking it out and there's no word of mouth other than that it's a story because nobody really seems to care. There isn't a big fan base who really is in tune with it. So, but let's talk about that. So, Minihane, Minihane, is that is that the? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm aware of him. He said, "Fuck your dad." He was very uh, mean about brokering uh, some sort of breakfast. But you went to the studio, and it seemed like you guys patched things up, and it went rather well. Is that a correct read? Yeah, his read on it is he likes me, but I don't really like him. What he meant by that is I'm not like obsessed with his show, but there are people are very obsessed with this show i picked up like 400 to 500 twitter followers just because i went on it and i was like stunned by the amount of people he said i got negative feedback which i don't think was true (laughs) at least like so in the youtube chat on the live show i guess it was like pretty overwhelmingly negative but then on twitter when like they tweeted the show out I got a lot of positive responses, both in my mentions and my DMs, and it's probably like 95% positive, which surprised me. Yeah. I, my one note for you is, is I do this too, you did wide stance on, on the video. I think you got to do that talk show uh, cross-legged thing. That's, that's, oh. that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the one note. That's the note I've been given, because I also do a wide stance when seated, and I've been informed that that's... That's not the thing to do. Okay, well, we got one. Do we got one call? You know, we had a call earlier we didn't take. Should we get Danny up here before we get yeah, on let's out? Let's do it. Danny. Danny. Hey, what's up, fellas? I listened to the Many Hand show and it was epic. Ryan crushed it. <laughs> Thank nice. you. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's all Keep I got the wide you, stance but... then. Keep the wide yeah, I stance. I never listened to that guy's show before. I don't think I'll ever listen again unless Ethan gets on. He didn't act <laughs> like he didn't know who you were, Ethan, but. I think he's oh. Ethan and Ryan. Yeah, I said together. I'd go on your show. Said, oh, that's great. Who's Ethan? 
I don't think he acted like he didn't know who I was. I think he just doesn't know who I am. I mean, why would he know I'm a very specific, very specific creature in my own kind of niche and behind he knows the who, like Maggie Gray is. He doesn't like her content. I don't know who Maggie Gray is. Who's Maggie Gray again? She, she was part of the show that replaced Francesa in uh, afternoon drive on WFAN. Before that, she was at SI. And now she co-hosts a show on like CBS Sports Radio with the former Dan Patrick show producer, Andrew Perloff. Go ahead, Danny. I know who Perloff is. But Danny, yeah. Um, that was really what I wanted to say. Yeah, right, that was well, it. It was I, just a compliment. I was, I, was compliment. I was laughing was... throughout the whole thing. It was so funny. You're just deadpans at his... Yeah, he said I didn't takes. get the humor. Like, he talked about <laughs> it on uh, Monday. He said I, like, didn't have a sense of humor. And I feel like, no, you di- he didn't get my humor. I was <laughs> trying to be funny. Maybe I guess I wasn't succeeding in, uh, by his standards. But, like, I had a lot of people who thought I was funny, which I really appreciated because I like getting compliments. <laughs> Like, I thought it was going to be some other reason for why you would appreciate it, but it's just that you like getting compliments. That's frank. Yes. I, I have gotten better at taking compliments. I used to argue against them. Now I just say thank you, and it turns out people like that better rather than trying to convince them out of the compliment that they just gave you. Um, wait, we got another guy? We got Steven? Okay. You know, Johnny come lately's right now. Uh, Steven, 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 you're muted, Steven. Muted with an avi that I can't see. It's kind of blended in to the rest of everything. I don't know. Well, okay. So uh, I think we're going to wrap up since I can't really get the Steven thing to work. Um, uh, Ryan, is there anything to plug coming down? Yeah, so my that minor league baseball thing came out on NY Post Sports Plus today. I'm very proud of it. I understand it's paywalled. There is a free trial um, if you want to click on it and subscribe. I'm not telling you to unsubscribe later. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. Mm. Um, But like, you know, it's a team that only plays on the road. They lose over 90% of their games, including at 1.35 in a row. But I actually think what they're doing is somewhat the embodiment of the American dream. And they've kept their head out high amid all the difficult circumstances And I have a piece coming out, hopefully tomorrow, where um, Jim Ursay has this $100 million traveling memorabilia museum that includes, like, just an insane eclectic array of U.S. history, music, sports. um, How do you get these stories? You got Kendrick Perkins with the million-dollar dogs traveling circus and all the security around it. Now you've got this Ursay. Perkins, I, Perkins, I don't, I, I, Perkins, I pitched this one. I just got, I, you know, I get not to brag, but to brag, I get a lot of unsolicited emails from PR people. And I'd say 95% of them or more are a big distraction in my life, but I still look at all of them because sometimes I get a VIP plus one invite to Jim Ursay hires some of the best blues and other musicians in the world to play a concert, open bar, ask him questions, see Jim Brown up close at 86 years old and like see 
a wanted poster for John Wilkes Booth or like um, a military strategy letter written by George Washington or Kurt Cobain's um, Smells Like Teen Spirit guitar um, and on and on down the road of just like ridiculous things that Ursay has bought in auctions as a inherited billionaire over the years. That's quite the get right there. Um, I guess, what would I plug? I've got the Griner story out if you want to subscribe. I just did a podcast with Substack Superstars, uh, Freddie DeBoer. Oh, we didn't Jeff, talk Jeff about Zingle. the Levitard stuff, but I think we've gone long enough. I don't know. Next week, that's probably stale. I would suggest do you, people okay, well, what do you to wanna, home and home. Okay, but what do, you, what do you want to talk about with it? Now, okay, so now I'm... Uh, I, I wasn't well, aware I that was something to discuss. Feature, but I do want to talk about it a little. Um, okay. I, I'm probably like 70% done with this. So I, I got more done in the early evening hours than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I like Dan. Um, I've had very positive interactions with him over the years. He was like one of the first big names to, I think, show me some respect in my career. And I am transparent about that. When people do that, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt more often, as is human. Um, That's something that, if uh, don't aggregate me or, like, say I give (laughs) favoritism. But, um, no, I think that when people show you respect, it earns them some benefit of the doubt in this business and we see it all over the place. But, um, he I like said the Stephen that- a, you're doing the Stephen a, you know, I, you know, I'm, I have a lot of respect. I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the hammer now with the way you set it up. He said he didn't intend ambush Michelle to Um, and I guess like what she said was, um, the pitch from whichever producer booked her had been like, we want to talk about your career. And then he hits you with, like, why are your politics so bad? Um, (laughs) So he said he didn't intend it as an ambush and he wishes he could have a do-over. To be clear, he he didn't ambush me. But the the way the question was asked was... um, it, it was definitely a, a kind of an explain yourself situation. Uh, narcissistic. Did I handle that one? Okay. You know, did yeah, I you that? did. Um, <laughs> he just, I, I don't, if, if he listened to it back, I think that he, and not, not just like the whole thing, but like from the outset, it was um, to put her on the defensive. And yeah. so, um, if he says he didn't, he, he says, I didn't intend to ambush her. I don't ambush her, but it wasn't, uh, um, acknowledgement of having, I would say ambushing her. Well, I don't know what happened. I said it in the podcast I did with him. My sense is whatever happened was, was kind of organic. I don't know if they necessarily got together and said, okay, I go here, you go there, break. And frankly, I think they would have pulled off uh, an, an actual ambushing, perhaps, if, if it was organized like that. 
I just have no sense of what they wanted out of that interview. I have really no clue about it. I don't know if there was preparation going in. It, it ended up getting dominated by Mike Ryan, the um, the uncomfortable Michelle Tafoya interview that you can look up if you want. So I think in fairness to him, I don't think there was necessarily a plan, but it, it also, I think, and he might agree now, I have no idea it's unfortunate when there's no attempt to see something from the other person's perspective in a situation like that. And um, in that particular argument, it's very uncomfortable. And it went back and forth. I think uh, Tafoya was saying that she had issues with uh, the equity agenda or CRT or whatever you want to call it because of her own experiences with her own children. And uh, Mike Ryan was very dismissive of that uh, producer on the Levitard show. And, I, I just think it's a situation where you don't have to see the entire argument to the person, but you just listen. You go, OK, I understand that you went through something and that informs your perspective on things that are wrong right now. I happen to think that it's not the most important thing or that uh, there are these other more important things or whatever. But it just seems like there was no. There's just no effort made to even see something from somebody else's perspective, and it's part of this broader problem in media of assuming your perspective is the morally correct perspective without much investigation or proof of concept as to why it's correct and sneering at everybody else. And so that's my you know, typical grandstand. Uh, do we have Danny <laughs> jumping in again? I mean, I'm not sure I've fulfilled these suggestions and given to other people. I'm not sure I do it. Danny, I, I agree with what he said about Michelle Tafoya, but what did she and them expect? If I, when I listened to that interview, I wanted to hear them debate those topics because that's why I mm. understand she left sports media was so she could go talk about school and what's being taught in schools. And so I don't know what else she expected to come on and talk about and what else, what are the topics yeah. they would want to talk to her about? So I, I enjoyed the interview. I, Wish more people. Oh my God! You must love the Br- and- you must love the British version of The Office, man. You've got a, a good tolerance <laughs> for emotional discomfort, right there. Um, I mean, I I found the interview interesting. I, I I felt uncomfortable. I don't know why I felt uncomfortable. I forced myself to listen to it. There's just something to that. Well, I think if Dan does get the do over, if if Michelle Tafoya grants it to him, um, which I don't know whether she will or not. I honestly have no idea. It was probably a win for her. Um, As much as Dan said it wasn't one for him and his show, I think it probably was a win for Tafoya because, um, you know, we were in the attention economy and that garnered a lot of attention. And the the people that... If you're a, she might not want it, but if you're a Fox News television producer, you, you, you know, it'd be like a scouting tape of uh, who might need to be in the nine o'clock hour or however they do it. You would go like, and okay, it, well, well, that, to be yeah. fair, she's already getting those spots, but, you know, it never hurts to like get more of them. And the uh, if they do another one, I'll I'll tell you, I would expect it to be a South Beach session. Yeah, well, and it, credit to Dan, by the way, in my lengthy interview with him, we started talking about some of those in, uncomfortable topics and, and people might 
critique Dan and, and, and how he's approaching it, but his producer kind of jumped in to sort of try to wrap the interview and he said no and he wanted to keep going. And he was down to he was he was down to just go wherever he wanted to take that conversation. So um I appreciate that that he had that level of, of candor. But yeah, he gave you like two hours and two hours of his time at this time. Like it's not just like they're making four hours of content a day. And he's in just endless meetings, I'm sure, over every little thing that you can think of. And so two hours of his time right now, like two hours of my time is like a lot. Mm. And He's he's, he's a mogul, you know, he he definitely has a lot going on. And I mean, I, I, again, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, I don't know the dynamics completely of that show or what went wrong with the Tafoya situation. I appreciated that he uh, that he accepted being asked about it and he gave his spiel on it and people can think whatever they think. Um, And uh, but yeah, I just but I'm generally I'm generally talking about the situation in media where it can feel sometimes as though the alternate perspective needs to explain itself. And at a certain point in time. Uh, I, I think more and more people are feeling that maybe the media perspective should explain itself as opposed to uh, just assuming um, its veracity and, and, and rightness morally and otherwise. So and, that's, and that's all. Of, yeah. I, I also think that there's so much like rightful indignation about Trump and the establishment Republicans. Um, they're not necessarily the same thing, but they get grouped together. Um, there's so much rightful anger at them that it allows the establishment Democrats who over the past couple years locked down these cities to no tangible result, um, caused inflation on and on like the, the lot, like they, they, the, the Democrats have been given no agency in um, or like not enough agency in the situation we find ourselves in now. And that was like my other um, critique. Like he did mention Hunter Biden and to his credit, so the de- most of the Democrats have like willful blinders to that. And we've discussed that before. We don't oh, need to we're, go down we're gonna that rabbit We're going to get pulled out in the politics after I thought we were going to wrap it is there was that fascinating election in Kansas and maybe there's some information, not election, but the, uh, the pro-choice uh, versus pro-life uh referendum whatever you want to call it uh but now there's some indication that maybe the democrats might be stronger in the midterms but that's a it's a whole oh i do want to know ryan are you gonna bet are you gonna bet on midterms you degenerate you you? yeah you can yeah no you predict it predict Uh, it but that their vig is ridiculous like there's (laughs) huge um there's like big transaction fees to withdraw money from them. That's well, like it, do- it doesn't matter because I don't want to make any bets now. I feel like there are too many confounding variables between. The- I'm mad because I'm yeah. mad we couldn't bet on president because I was very early on how viable a candidate DeSantis is, and that value has since been wiped no, away. That, but you that- can check the tapes because I was looking on Patty Power in like, I don't know, January or whatever and saying, bet him, bet him, bet him. Did I book a fight 
flight to Scotland to put my money where my mouth was? No. no. But no. I was right, and I it was an opportunity that just didn't exist to us without an enormous amount of effort. I, I think betting politics is also one of those things that it, it feels more degenerate and gross than any other kind of betting I'm aware of. Because it's, it's where we all have our biases. We all have the things we want to, to happen. And you get really screwed up in your mind where you're going, wait, am I objective on this one? <laughs> am, I, am I objective or is this what I want to happen? I mean, it's a different it's a different level than voting on and uh, voting uh, in betting on on sports teams. And so, yeah, I would not know. I It would be stay away from me. Uh, you've got the indicators of massive Republican wave, uh, the sort of uh, 50 seat wave that we've seen historically. But post Dobbs and some of these uh, indicators that there is energy on the Dem side. Stay away. I'm fascinated to see the results, Ryan. I'm I'm fascinated to see whatever happens a few months from now. So. Yeah, I I think I've started taking an attitude where um, I just want to like be nice to the people around me. Try to like have Boo, a happy individual life. Um, spread joy in the world and just. You let the macro be the macro. I know we talk about the macro all the time. And so it, it's like hard not to get super concerned over it. But like what I try and tell myself a lot of times a day is be like a good person, spread happiness and the chips will fall where they may. Do I spread happiness? I'm going to think about that one. I'm not sure if I do, but you the listeners certainly spread happiness to us. That was awkwardly done as an outro. Uh, check out Ryan's work at the New York Post. It's been excellent. He's getting the kinds of stories that other people are not getting. Uh, check out my stuff, Substack, obviously, a new podcast up with uh, DeBorn Single, as I said. Uh, Griner article, uh, narrated articles. I narrate the articles, folks. I do that. I go the extra mile. For I all think of you. you you have to write about this abortion vote now because oh, I God. can tell you you're very interested in it. No, I don't have to write it. God, talk, talk about a topic not to be written about. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, I know. I, I it's mean, maybe the worst thing to talk about. Maybe if it comes up in such a way, but there are other people who are covering that one and, and discussing it, and I'm just I'm fascinated by the upcoming midterms. I just am, and somebody could say that's horse racism. Horse racism sounds like racism. Uh, that's horse race politics. That's uh, they are really coming up though, because you know yeah. August goes in a flash. August is the fastest month of the okay. year. It's I, the I end want, of summer. God, you're pulling me back in. You're pulling me back in. Like that because I'm just I I, I look like, at no, the the, the August isn't the fastest month of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, folks, everybody. Uh, Thanks so much to Ryan. Thanks so much to all of you. Until next time. Until next week. See ya. Good job by you. (laughs) Good job.